listening to the Miracle Word Podcast. We believe that the Word of God gives you the power to experience never-ending increase in every area. If you're ready for revelation that will take you to the next level, you're in the right place. Here's your host, evangelist, author, and founder of Miracle Word University, Ted Shuttlesworth, Jr. I don't think you can teach a series on dominion. And of course, we cover dominion over sin, dominion over sickness and disease, dominion over depression. Uh, We talked about why you have dominion. I don't think you can complete it without talking about dominion over uh, poverty and lack. Hey, Jolene, good to have you on from New Brunswick. Um, You've got to, got to talk about dominion over poverty and lack. Did you know that if you went through the curse of the law, which is found in Deuteronomy 28, verses 15 through verse 68. Did you know that if you counted up all the curses, that 63% of the curses of the law dealt with the people of God's economic well-being? Doesn't that blow your mind? 63% of the curse dealt with their finances. And people don't want to talk about it. Blows my mind. People don't want to talk about money. They don't want to talk about the blessing of the Lord, his financial provision. Meanwhile, the average, we were, Nick and Nick was talking with us on the broadcast, and I'm sure Nick could give us some statistics, but you know, it's over 80, uh, Nick, tell us what it is. It's over 80% of Americans uh, that are in debt, literally going paycheck to paycheck in debt. Literally, if they missed a paycheck, it would throw them into a uh, um, a tailspin. It would throw them into a crisis mode. Most Christian, uh, most not just Christians, most Americans have nothing saved up in credit card debt up to their eyeballs. Everything's mortgaged. Everything's on payment plans, and nobody wants to talk about the fact that God has a plan to bring you into overflow. God has a plan to bring you into abundance. That's part of your covenant with God is that you have access to abundance. And that's a wonderful thing. I don't know why anybody would get angry that God wants to bless you. I have no idea why people would get angry that God wants to bless you. He does. Jesus said and likened his character and his nature to a loving heavenly father in Matthew chapter 7 and literally describes the nature of God, that he wants to give good gifts to those that ask him. Nick's giving us the stats here in the in the comments. 80% of Americans who have $16,000 worth of credit card debt and 33 to 40% of Americans live paycheck to paycheck. Think about that. 33 to 40% of Americans live paycheck to paycheck and 80% of Americans have at least $16,000 of credit card debt. So, we're living Yeah, exactly, Andrew. But Jesus was poor. That's what people think. And of course, we've dealt with that. But <clears throat> you, you, you look at the state of, of the world. You look at the state of even the United States of America, that's without a doubt the most blessed country in the world. We are literally so blessed. But even those that are living here are battling in debt, poverty, lack, not enough. It's destroying people's relationships. It's destroying, of course, marriages. People are getting divorced because the financial pressure is too great. And uh, it's, yeah, exactly. I like what uh, what Steve Martin said. 
uh, famed actor Steve Martin says, from someone who grew up with a single parent who did not have time for herself and was on government assistance at some time. I'm glad that prosperity is in the Bible. I totally agree. I totally agree. God has a plan to bless his children. There's no question about that. Part of the covenant that we have with God provides for us abundance financially. If we will obey the covenant, if we will interact by faith with the covenant, then we will walk in financial abundance. No question about it. There's no question about it. And so that's interesting. Uh, Tyler said up in Saskatchewan, he heard a statistic that 91% of Canadians retire broke with nothing. Absolutely nothing. I don't know. I don't have the, uh, the literally, I can't cite the study for that, but I wouldn't doubt that that's true. I wouldn't doubt it. And so it's, it's important to talk about this because God doesn't want you to have all this uh, purpose and all this anointing and this calling he's placed upon your life and then never have the resources to carry it out. Think about that. You are anointed. You are anointed. You have a calling. You have a purpose. God wants you to fulfill it. But notice, God doesn't want to give you a purpose and a calling and an anointing, and then you have no finances, no resources to carry out your purpose or your call. How frustrating would that be if God had all these visions and dreams that he put in your heart and you could never see them realized because you just never had the resources to make it happen? And see, God's not that kind of God. He's a God that provides for you. One of his, I mean, think about the fact that one of his covenant names is Jehovah Jireh. He is God who is our provider. David said, the Lord is my shepherd. I will not lack. You think about that. The Lord is my shepherd. I will not lack. And and I want you to see this. The only people who lack are the ones who refuse to let the Lord be their shepherd. Do you ever think about that? Put it in the comments. The only ones who lack are the ones who refuse to let the Lord be their shepherd. <laughs> I mean, I can't make it any more plain than that. The only people in the body who lack are those who refuse to let the Lord be their shepherd. See, because a shepherd is the one who leads and guides you. You know, just by looking at Psalm 23, we have a picture of what a a shepherd does. Let's look at it. We'll start in Psalm 23, the Psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd and I shall not want for any good thing. I won't lack. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. What kind of pastures? Green, not burnout pastures with no grass left, not dirt or dust, makes the sheep lie down in green pastures. Look at this. Leads me beside still waters. Let me just break here and tell you something that'll really, really bless you. There's a book that came out. If you don't have it, it's worth the purchase. The book is called a shepherd looks at Psalm 23. You must buy that book. If I'm, if I'm recommending anything to you, this book is phenomenal. It's called A Shepherd Looks 
at Psalm 23. And someone who was an actual shepherd of sheep, it's basically a commentary on what Psalm 23 practically means and how a shepherd would understand what was being said about a shepherd in this psalm. And it's powerful because he, he and I'll, I'll get there and I'll show you some of these things, but he makes some great observations that we may not understand because we're not shepherds. But for example, he leads me beside still waters. Why was it important that he led them beside still waters? Well, he said sheep are animals that are very, very jumpy, very nervous animals. So if you were, he said, if you were to lead them by, you know, rushing rivers or anything else, he said, they can never relax. They're always spooked by every noise. He said, the reason a shepherd would lot would lead uh, his sheep next to still waters is because it actually, the stillness of the water brings peace to the heart of the sheep. They're not jumpy. They're not nervous, but the still water allows them to rest in the green pastures and take drink from the water in total peace. He goes on to explain why it said, he says, you anoint my head with oil. Well, he said, one of the things that shepherds will do is they'll anoint the nose and the head of the sheep with oil. And one of the things that does is it keeps pests and bugs from flying and landing on their nose and face. It actually is like a repellent to pests, bugs. And he said, what ends up happening if you don't do it, sometimes the pests, the bugs will land on the nose and the eyes of the sheep. And then the the eyes and the nose of the sheep start getting infected. And the infection keeps them from being able to have perfect sight or vision. That's a powerful thought. That the anointing that comes upon your head when you're anointed by your shepherd, not only does it drive pests away from your life, but it also protects your vision so that your your vision is not uh, skewed and you can see what the Lord is doing and where he's leading you. Very powerful book. It's called A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23. Buy it if you can. And listen, he restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Thank you, Jesus. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now, here's a great one. Look at this. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Hallelujah. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life and I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So notice right off the bat, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Well, it makes sense when you understand things that even God said about himself. Of course, this is God saying it about himself because the Holy Spirit inspired David to write those words. Everything in the Bible is inspired by God. That's not just David writing. It's the Holy Spirit carrying him along and inspiring him to write the 23rd Psalm. But in Isaiah 48, 17, I quote this to you often. The Bible says, I am the Lord, your God, who teaches you to profit. 
and leads you in the way that you should go. You see that. And so the same thing's being said there about God that's being said in Psalm 23, that the shepherd is the one who leads you and guides you into a place where you have no lack, that you have no poverty, that you have no run out, but you're in a place where you will profit. You'll not lack, you'll profit according to the scripture. And that's God's desire for his children. God does not want his children to be in lack. He'll send people to bless you. In fact, people say, well, you know, there's there, not every Christian's rich. I understand that. But that doesn't mean that every Christian should not abound in every area of life. You know, you go to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. What is Paul doing with the Corinthian church there? He is receiving an offering for the Macedonian believers who are at that point in need and poor. So what is he doing? There's actually people who are about to be a blessing to another group of people so they won't be in need and so they won't be without. So what did God do? God blessed in abundance those that were Corinthian believers and now they have an excess. They have more than enough to provide and be a blessing to those that don't. And that's God's system of seed time and harvest. The Bible says that we are blessed to be a blessing. It's part of the Abrahamic covenant. He said in Genesis chapter 12, I will bless you and I will make you a blessing. Hallelujah. I want you to write in the comments, he will bless me and he will make me a blessing. Put it in the comments section. He will bless me and he will make me a blessing. Scratch that. Write it like this. He has blessed me and made me a blessing. I want you to say it from a faith perspective. Not a will, but an already has. That's important. Not a he's going to. Not a he's going to because he already has. He has blessed me and has made me a blessing. I say that because Ephesians chapter 1 says, verse 3, you've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Every spiritual blessing. So it's not going to be done. It's already done. He has blessed me and has made me a blessing. Whether you're seeing the manifestation of it right now or not, it's already something that's been done and we can now receive it by faith. He has, that's it. He has blessed me and made me a blessing. It's part of your Abrahamic covenant. And so you see that in Ephesians 1.3, you see it in Galatians 3.29, that if you belong to Christ, you're Abraham's seed and an heir according to the promise. So he has blessed me and has made me a blessing. Very important that you see that. And so I want you to get this with me today. Part of your covenant with Christ is that God will bless you financially in that covenant. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 9. You know what's funny is that I even have these videos on YouTube and, you know, shorter videos. And I did a video once uh, asking the question, was Jesus poor? And that was done maybe four or five years ago. I still to this day get comments. I got one today on these videos where people are angry that I've presented Jesus in a way that does not show him in poverty and lack. And they get all mad 
and they start calling me a false prophet. I don't even claim to be a true prophet. They start uh, calling me a false prophet and you're, you're deceiving people and all these other things. And they go through this big tirade in the comments section. And then at the end, I just basically say to them, do you have any scriptural evidence? Do you have any scriptural evidence? Because people get all people get all bent out of shape that you that you don't present Jesus as a poor man, a homeless man, a broke man, a pauper, and they get mad about it and they start calling you names and all these other things. And I have to respond with one thing. Do you have any scriptural evidence for your argument? Because if you don't, then just stay quiet because the only thing we abide by is what the word of God actually says. If you can't see it in the word of God, then it, it bears it has no bearing on the doctrine that we believe. If you can't find it in the word of God, it has no bearing upon the doctrine that we believe. None. So people can get mad if they want. People can get, you know, bent out of shape and start calling names and calling, you know, you're a false prophet. They can do whatever they want. But the bottom line is they never give a scriptural rebuttal because they can't. Because you cannot, as a logical thinking person, imagine uh, that Jesus was poor and find evidence in scripture to prove that. In fact, we've done broadcasts. I just did one on was Jesus poor? What was it last week or at the beginning of this week? And, um, you cannot actually find evidence. I gave you like, what did I give you? Eight or nine reasons, something like that, that Jesus was not a poor man from the scripture. I proved it from scripture. And the, and the problem is people can get up and say all the things because they've been taught improperly for their entire uh, lives. And it just goes against anything that they've ever been taught. So it shakes their brain. But the bottom line is they don't have scriptural evidence they don't have scriptural evidence to prove it. And so they get angry. They get bent out of shape. They start calling names. None of that matters. It doesn't bother me. doesn't hurt my feelings because it's not about me. It's about what the word of God says. And so uh, it, do, it doesn't matter. Your opinion about it doesn't matter. It's what the Bible says. And what we can clearly see in scripture is God has a plan to bless his children. Go with me real quick to Revelation chapter five. I do, Deborah. Who do I remind you of? Deborah on Twitter, Periscope says, you remind me of someone. Tell me who it is. I'm very interested to know. Hopefully it's somebody good. It's not like Stalin or something. It's not like Mao Zedong or something like that. Thank you, Deborah. We're glad to have you visit. Um, Revelation chapter five. That was a short visit. She she said, you remind me of someone that said, it's been nice visiting here. <laughs> We're glad you're here. Stick around. You don't have to leave. Um, verses 11 and 12. Uh, I want you to see this because really Jesus died to give us seven things that we can see here in this scripture. The angels are saying it as they're flying around the throne. Look at it. Revelation chapter five and verses 11 and 12. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels. Look at this numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands. Verse 12 saying with a loud voice. Now count these with me. Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive. 
power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Seven things that the lamb was slain to receive. You see that? Seven things that the lamb was slain to receive. Let me read them again. Power, wealth, wisdom, might, honor, glory, blessing. Seven things. And so one of the things, does it blow your mind that one of the reasons Jesus died? I mean, this goes against every religious person's belief system that gets angry about this stuff. Isn't it interesting to you that Jesus, one of the reasons he died or that the lamb was slain was to receive wealth? (laughs) Do you think Jesus needs wealth now? Do you think God needs wealth? God sits on a throne, walks on a street of gold. The gates of heaven are made out of one pearl. Do you honestly think Jesus needed wealth? None of the things, if you think about it logically, none of the things he died for, he needed. He received them, but remember why? To give them to you. To give them to you. He didn't need any of those. The Bible says, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power. Do you think Jesus had to die to receive power? He didn't. He had power on the earth. He raised the dead, cleansed the leper, healed people that were born blind, born deaf. He, I mean, caused the lame to walk. You think Jesus needed to die to get power? Or did he get power when he was filled with the Holy Ghost in Luke chapter 4? The Bible actually says in Luke 4.14 that he returned from the wilderness in the power of the Spirit. So do you honestly think Jesus had to die to get power? He didn't. Not for himself, but he died so that we could have power. You see that. What did he say in Acts 1.8? You shall receive power. You. He already had it. You'll receive it. You shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Go on further. He didn't need to uh, die to get power. Go on. Let's skip wealth. Wisdom. Do you think Jesus had to die to get wisdom for himself? Or did the Bible teach that he grew in wisdom and stature and that he was wise and operated not only in natural wisdom, but supernatural wisdom? He didn't have to die to get wisdom. He didn't have to die to get might. He didn't have to die to get honor. He didn't have to die to get glory, or nor did he have to die to get blessing. He had all of those things, including wealth. I demonstrated to you with scriptural evidence last week that he had wealth already while he was on the earth. Didn't have to die to get it. So all those things, he didn't die to get them for himself, but the the lamb was slain to receive them. But what did he do when he received them? He transferred them to you his body, the one who represents him upon the earth. No question about it. No question about it. And we read in 2 Corinthians 8, 9, um, though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that through his poverty he could make you rich. But the question you have to ask, people say, well, the Bible says he was poor. It's right there. Didn't you read it? It said he was poor. He became poor. The, the question you ask yourself is when? What was the timeline? When did he become poor? In the same way that he never sinned, but became sin, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 20, although he was never sick, he took sickness upon his own body, 
And although he was never poor, he took poverty. He became poverty, became poor. So that through that poverty, when on the cross, he could make you rich, have plenty, an abundance, never be without, never be in lack, but always have more than enough. Always have more than enough. You know, everybody looks at that and says, well, that means God wants everybody to be a multi, multi multi-millionaire. Well, I believe God wants everybody to have an abundance far more than enough. But I also believe it's based upon the vision God's given you and what he's called you personally to do. If what he's called you to do will take $3.7 million to do it and he gives you $5 million, do you have an abundance? Absolutely you do. But if it takes you $22 million to do what you're doing and he gives you $25 million, the person who has five, so well, he's got $25 million. I've only got $5 million. Yeah, but what he's doing took $22 million. What you're doing only took three point seven, And so both people, you don't compare based on what you actually get or what you actually have. You compare based upon what you're doing for the Lord, what you're called to do, and then what he gives you as an abundance. Isn't it enough to have more than enough? Isn't it enough to have an abundance so that you can not only do what you're called to do, but bless many others with what you have? Of course, that's what the Bible teaches. If all you were doing for the Lord cost $100,000 and he gave you $300,000, that's an abundance because your purpose, your call at the level you're standing only takes $100,000, but the the God of more than enough gave you $300,000. So you're in an abundance. You can't look over and say, well, he got 5 million. Yeah, but what he's doing took 3.7 million. You're not standing at that level of faith. You're not standing at that level of faith. And see, it's a dangerous thing to say, well, if I got to that level, I'd really be a blessing to my generation. No, you wouldn't. If you if you're not being a blessing to your generation at the level you're at, God'll never never take you to the other level and you'll never be at that level to be a blessing at a greater place. It just doesn't happen that way. Anyone who says, well, if I ever get to that level, I'll really be a blessing. You'll never be there ever because it doesn't work that way. It's all based upon sowing and reaping, seed time and harvest. You, if you say, well, as soon, if I ever got a million dollars, I'd give a lot of it to the church. You don't give what you have to the church now. So God looks and sees that and knows what you would and wouldn't do. There are some people that God, and I, I truly believe this, there's some people that cannot go further than they are because the Lord knows they're not mature enough to handle that level of blessing. And if they did get it, it would actually pull them away from him. There are some people that they're not ready. They're not mature yet to be at that place. Think about the fact that the people who win the lottery, the majority of people who win the lottery, it destroys their whole life. It's not a blessing to them. It destroys their relationships. Many of them, their family won't talk to them. They've got people coming out of the woodwork. Remember me, I'm your sixth cousin. Can I get a million bucks? It destroys their relationships, destroys their peace. Many of them go on drugs, can't handle it. Why? Because they just got something put into their hand that they don't have the character to maintain. They don't. And so actually an abundance destroys them. 
So when you try to go beyond your means, see, here's the problem. People want to advance beyond their own faithfulness. You can't do that. If God advanced you beyond your own faithfulness and faith, it would destroy you. Think about that. If God took you beyond your own faithfulness and your own faith, it would destroy you. It wouldn't help you. See, that's why it takes that system. Because remember, part of what the system of seed time and harvest does is that every single time you tithe, every single time you give, it's a constant test of your heart. Always. You'll never stop having the test of the heart. Every time you tithe, every time you give, it's a test of your heart. God will keep blessing you higher and higher and higher. And the more you give, the more will come back to you. But see, you don't start at million dollar giving. You start at $10 giving. You start at $20 giving. You start at $100 giving. You move on to $500 giving. You move on to $1,000 giving, $2,500 seeds, $5,000 seeds, $10,000 seeds, $50,000 seeds. See, it doesn't start at a million dollar seeds, nor does it start at million dollar harvests. It starts where you're at. God's always looking where you're at. God's always watching where you're at. So important. God checks your heart to see if you still love him or if you have built up a love for money, which by the way, is the root of all kinds of evil. The Bible says money's not bad. That always blows my mind because the thing that one, the lady that wrote me today on, on uh, YouTube about the video I'd put up, she said, you know, you act like Jesus is walking around the earth. The reason he gave the money bag to Judas was because Judas was the only one filthy enough to carry that filthy lucre. As though money itself is some evil thing. If Let me ask you a question. This is how foolish that woman is. This is how foolish she is. If money is so evil, like she's saying it is, when I read Luke chapter 8, verses 1 through 3, where I demonstrate that wealthy women traveled with Jesus and the disciples and gave to them constantly out of their means, why didn't Jesus just turn and rebuke them and say, how dare you sow that filthy lucre into this ministry? Don't you know I'm the son of God and you'd bring those filthy finances around here? and try to put them into our ministry? Money is evil, you foolish women. Joanna, wife of Chusa, Herod's business manager. You foolish woman, money is evil. How dare you sow money into my ministry? Jesus didn't do that. He took the money, threw it in the money bag, and kept on moving. Because even Jesus, uh, as he was operating under the power of God 2,000 years ago, he understood completely well. Money is not evil. Money's not evil. People that talk like that are so illogical. They're illogical. It's exactly what Nick said. If money's dirty, then, you know, empty your 401k, personal savings, nest egg, checking account, get rid of all of it if money's evil. Because anything that's true is true at every level. Truth is scalable. Remember that. 
Put it in the comments section. Truth is scalable. Truth is scalable. You know, it's like it blows my mind when people go after preachers that are blessed. You know, recently it's been Kenneth Copeland a lot. They've been trying to hammer him uh, on YouTube and the news, all that. They always try to pick on uh, the ones that are doing a lot for the Lord. And so they pick on men like him and others. You know, and if anytime someone's got a jet, people get so bent out of shape over a preacher having a jet. Let me let me just give you a heads up because I don't I just don't think people are smart. I think that we've come down to the thing. There's a lot of people that are just not smart, and there's a lot of just liars. So when you watch these news stories, you'll see them hammering people like Kenneth Copeland, and and, the, and they'll say something like this: preacher or no. This is what they'll say. Millionaire pastor, which by the way, he's not a pastor, but this is all they know. Millionaire pastor uses church money to buy himself a private jet. Now that's what a headline would say, or that's what a news segment would say. Millionaire pastor uses church money to buy himself a private jet. Okay. All of that is stupid and a lie. First of all, He's not a pastor. Second of all, they make it sound like he embezzled funds or at the very least misappropriated funds in order to purchase a jet that should never have been purchased. And in in reality, guess what happened? They presented the need to their partners and said, we are planning on buying this jet, told them how much money it cost, how many millions of dollars it was going to cost to purchase the aircraft And the partners, what a surprise. And the partners of the ministry willingly gave toward what they knew was going to be a multi-multi-million dollar jet. Has nothing to do with misappropriation, has nothing to do with embezzlement, and it's not his own personal jet, it's the ministry's jet. And who cares if they have one or not? More power to them if they do. People get all bent out of shape and act like it's a discussion point. It's not a discussion point. Blows my mind that someone like that who's doing what he's called to do for the kingdom has built up his faith and those that have uh, stood with him in partnership are willing to go that direction and people that criticize him aren't doing anything. They're not doing any. It's always, well, that not it interesting that all the people that get mad about prosperity are the ones that just aren't doing anything for God? Well, I don't know if he should have that. What are you doing? What are you doing? You know who else was blessed, uh, bought and purchased and given a a plane was uh, Dr. Reinhard Bonnke. You're going to get mad that Dr. Bonnke rides around on a private jet? He's going on to be with the Lord now. With 50 plus million souls coming to Christ over a period of 10 years, 50 million. You're going to get all mad that he's flying around in a private jet? You're going to get, what are you doing for the kingdom? That's the question. What are you doing? Well, I think they could have given that money to the poor. Don't be dumb like they don't give money to the poor. That's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. And so, you know, it blows my mind. Totally blows my mind. You know know what I think about it, Steve, too? Because Steve makes the point, like, if he's preaching the gospel, he's winning souls, he's good in my book. And I think about this, like, even if he wasn't doing that, He presented a need to his partners and they willingly gave toward it. If all he was going to use it to do was fly back and forth uh, to, to, you know, orphanages they built in Thailand. 
and there was no preaching of the gospel or anything, if they were willing to do it, it's the it belongs to the ministry. They can do whatever they want with it. It's like blows my mind that people have anything to say about it. It, it blows my mind. It, it totally blows. That's how bent out of shape. What's up, Tim Adams, greatest guitar player? Pe- people blow my mind because they get all bent out of shape when they see somebody who's blessed. They see somebody who has had the faith to go higher. And then they get all, I, I could, listen, you could, you can't show me a preacher, a man of God or, or a woman of God that's blessed and me ever think, well, they're too blessed. You cannot show me that. I will never see any preacher. I don't care how much more blessed they are. You'll never show me a Christian. I don't care how much more blessed they are than me. And me sitting around, I can't believe they have all that. I'll be so happy that they do. I'll probably dance on their behalf. And by the way, this is a key to walking in abundance for yourself, which is never be greedy, never be jealous, never be greedy, never be jealous. Celebrate the blessing of others. When others are getting blessed, shout with them, sing with them, dance with them, get excited. They're your brother and sister in Christ. That's your brother. That's your sister in Christ. If they're blessed, thank God for it. They're blessed and we should praise God with them. My blessing's coming too, but I see you got yours. So I'm going to shout with you. I'm going to dance with you. That's why when you share your testimonies on the broadcast or people text them in to me, I dance with you. I shout with you. I'm praying for your blessing to come through. Amen. I'm praying for your breakthrough to come through. Hallelujah. Be Never be greedy. Never be jealous. Never be greedy. Never be jealous. I'm praying for your blessing. I'm believing for your increase. I'm wait, I can't wait to see what God does in your life. And when you tell me about it, I'm going to get happy about it. I'm going to shout about it with you. I'm going to dance about it with you. I'm not going to sit there and say, well, I've been praying longer than they have, and I'm doing more for God than they I don't know why. I'm not going to be that person. And don't you be that person. Get excited when other people are blessed. Give God praise on behalf of your brother and sister that's getting blessed. And that'll keep a right heart in you. It'll keep a right heart. It'll keep you in a place of thankfulness. It'll keep you in a, pl- it'll keep you in a place of, uh, of, of faith. And it'll keep you in a place of love which allows your faith to work. Faith works by love. (laughs) Hallelujah. Amen, Brother Tim. That's it. Faith works by love. I've got to love seeing my brothers and sisters get blessed. Thank you, Brother Steve. I've got to love seeing my brothers and sisters get blessed. I want to rejoice when they rejoice. And see, that's a seed I'm sowing, a seed of gratitude, a seed of thanksgiving, a seed of praise. And when I do it, that harvest comes back to me, comes back to me. We have dominion. See, because Jesus purchased it by his blood, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth. That's number two. That's why if you've, if you've ever followed us on uh, what we do for Miracle Word Kids, we have a poster that we send out. It's in the store, shop.miracleword.com. We created a poster for your kid's room that has our confession on it. Our confession's based on seven things that we just read in Revelation 5.12. And we say it with our kids every single night. You know what that confession is? I'm powerful. I'm wealthy. 
I'm wise. I'm mighty. I have honor. I have glory. I have blessing. We say it over our kids and they repeat it every single night. Hallelujah. I'm powerful. I'm wealthy. I'm wise. I'm mighty. I have honor. I have glory. I have blessing. I'm healthy. I'm thankful. I'm bold. I'm a leader. We just start adding to it. Hallelujah. Other kids have added to it. But understand this, we're confessing what the word of God says. And one of the things it says is that the lamb was slain to receive wealth. Jesus became poor that you might become rich. Give and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. Will he cause men to give into your bosom? Hallelujah. Galatians chapter 6. Look at this. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 7. The Bible says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will reap from the flesh corruption. But the one who sows to the spirit will reap from the spirit eternal life. And don't let us grow weary of doing good, for in due season we'll reap if we do not give up. So then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially to those that are in the household of faith. Don't be deceived. I love this part. God is not mocked. What's it talking about? His system won't be mocked. It's his system. He runs it. He said, whatsoever man sows, that will he also reap. We learned that from little kids, didn't we? They told us, if you want to have friends, be friendly. Well, that, what's that saying? Whatever you sow is what you're going to get. If you want friends, sow friendliness. If you want to be loved, sow love. If you want to be encouraged, sow encouragement. If you want to be blessed financially, sow finances. You see what I'm saying? If you need more time, sow your time. That's one people don't talk about often. I feel like there's not enough hours in a day. I never have enough time to get anything done. I need more time. Take your time, sow it into the kingdom of God. Volunteer at your church. Sign up and help the vision. Do what they're asking. And then all that, I never have enough time. No, sow your time. Be a part of it. And then watch God bless you with more time. Whatever you sow is what you'll reap. Let me, let me say something to you. God's children, that's right, Andrew. There is no prayer. No prayer that brings in a financial harvest. You don't pray for finances. You can't because it's not something that answers to prayers. You say, well, what about David? David prayed, Lord, I beseech thee, send now prosperity. Yeah, but let's get into this for a minute if you're going to. If you're going to talk about David and use him as an example, let's take a look at his giving life. Go to 1 Chronicles 29 as they're getting ready to give to build the temple and David pulls out of his own personal treasury gold and silver and precious stones and timber. And if you just calculate the gold and silver, David himself personally gave in today's value over $6 billion with a B. And when his elders saw him giving like that, they started giving with excitement and just their gold and silver along with his was a $20 billion offering. 
just the gold and silver. Don't even count the precious stones. Don't count the precious metals. Don't count the timber. Don't count the marble. None of that. Just the gold and silver. $20 billion. You could build with that Yankee Stadium 13 times and still have $500 million left over. Think about that for a minute. Think about what the temple must have looked like with that kind of wealth built into it. It's what they gave for the building of the temple. So David was not just sitting around praying for blessing without giving anything. He was one of the largest. In fact, can I give you something that'll stir your faith up? 305 years after David was dead and gone from the earth, the people of Israel were asking God for help and for favors. And God said this, I'll not do it for your sake because they truly weren't really living the way they should have been. He said, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to help you for your sake, but for my name's sake and for my servant David's sake. (laughs) David was dead 300 years plus when God said that. You know what he was saying? I'm going to give you favor for the sake of my servant David who lived 300 years ago because he gave so much and stored up so much credit and favor in heaven, I'm still pouring out blessings based on what David did. Thank you, Jesus. So if you want to talk about uh, prayer, David had the ability to pray because he was the one who had the heart of God and he was a giver. David was willing to give anything to the Lord, anything. And so, of course, sowing gives you the power to ask. Sowing gives you the power to ask. And so it's very interesting. But I want you to understand this. Christians are not called to be without. You're not called to walk in poverty and lack. Don't ever say stuff like, well, I just can't afford it. I just can't afford it. As I heard one preacher say, if you're in a store and that thing hits you and you look at it and say, man, that's really nice. I just can't afford it. Don't look and say, I can't afford it. Just point at it and say, I'm coming back for you. (laughs) I'm coming back for you. You know, one of the things that hurts us is that we grew up maybe thinking that we shouldn't have those kinds of nice things. We shouldn't operate like that. We shouldn't have that. Oh, that's kind of a waste, brother. And you know what we end up doing? I'll give you an example. I'll give you an example. When I buy things, one of the things I like to do is buy quality over quantity. I like quality. This is a perfect example of a poverty mindset. Well, I remember when the first time I ever bought, when our our, our, uh, ministry launched, I remember the first time I ever bought a MacBook Pro computer. And I knew the things I would need it to do and it needed to be at full spec. So I bought the fastest, most loaded down MacBook Pro that they sold. And it was going to cost $4,000 plus for that one laptop. Four, I think it was like $4,100. Somewhere between $3,800 and $4,100. And I remember people giving me a hard time that I bought that MacBook Pro. Well, you spent how much? $4,000 on that laptop? Don't you know that you could go down here and get a Samsung or an Acer or, you know, and then start naming all these PCs. And I said, I do know that, but I also know that those don't last as long. 
They slow down much quicker, much quicker. I went through the everything about it. You know, yes, I could buy that for $800 or for $650. I could get that PC laptop. But I also know how long that's going to last. I also know what it's going to what's going to happen with it. So I'm going to buy the quality. Don't look at that and say, well, I could never afford that. I mean, that's a $4,000 laptop. And the same, you want to hear something funny? And the same person that said that to me about that laptop. Now think about this. The same person, oh, you shouldn't buy, that's too expensive. You can't afford to be buying that kind of stuff and you should be more wise with your money. You can get a laptop for like $650. Let me tell you something. I bought that laptop for $4,000 and had that thing working and running fast for seven years. Seven years. The only, do you want to know the only reason I bought a new one after that? Is because after seven years, the machine was so old, it wasn't running slow. It just could no longer receive new hard, new uh, operating system updates from Apple. They stopped supporting that machine with their operating systems. It's the only reason I upgraded because I had to buy new programs and they wouldn't work with the old operating system. And in that same time, the person who gave me a hard time for buying something nice and expensive had gone through like seven or eight laptops, which, you know, think about that. Think about that. If you get, first of all, you can't even compare the specs of a $650 Acer laptop and a MacBook Pro, but let's just say the minimum they spent on a laptop was $900 and they bought eight of them over a seven-year period. They spent $7,200 buying crap over and over and over. I spent four grand once and was good for seven years. Think about that. But the, you know what the poverty mindset says? Well, you you know uh, you I don't you shouldn't spend that much. How much was that? Oh, I don't. We can't afford though. We don't, we don't go. That's, I can't afford that. Don't act like that. I remember hearing Doctor Le, uh, Doctor Leroy Thompson came to our church one time. I remember hearing him say, you know, get yourself out of the poverty mindset. Instead of going out, and he was talking to the men. He said instead of going out and buying five cheap suits, he said go out and buy one nice suit custom made for you and wear the heck out of it and take care of it instead of walking around you know in seven two hundred dollar suits go buy yourself a thousand dollar suit and take care of it and wear it well and feel you know i remember him saying that feel what it feels like to wear something nice on your body and know that god is your father and that you're blessed you know, many times that we we trick ourselves into a poverty mindset. It's like I was talking with my cousin one time. It's we were laughing because there's people that'll even say to you, "Oh, that oh, you pass a restaurant. Oh, that that's a, that's let me tell you that it's expensive restaurant right there. I, we don't go in there. How, that's expensive. Oh, really? How much does it cost to eat in there? Well, we don't know. We've never been in, but we've just heard it's really really expensive. You know, people act like that. They don't even know how much stuff costs, and that we don't go in. You know, we couldn't afford that. We can't afford to eat there. Literally, can't afford to eat there. And then that's their confession over their life. Meanwhile, God's your provider. You're telling me that sinners should be able to do these things. People that blaspheme the name of Jesus should be able to do these things. People who sleep around on their wife should be able to do these things. But the children of God have to kick around eating off-brand name cereal. You know, all the sinners can walk around, you know, actually eating Fruit Loops. Their kids get Fruit Loops in the morning, and our kids have to eat fruity rings 
because we're seven, we're saving 50 cents on a cereal because we don't believe in Jehovah Jireh and we don't believe in El Shaddai. So we have to pinch every penny and cut every corner because we've got a poverty mindset and we raise our children thinking, well, if you're going to serve God, you got to really learn to go without. And that's the God we're preaching. There's a God who literally can raise the dead, open blind eyes, save someone whose spirit is dead in trespasses and in sins, turn them into a new creature in Christ Jesus, but can't give you you enough money to buy fruit loops and so your kids when they really wanted to see toucan sam on a box they had to sit there and see Smokey the bandit pirate with you know a crack pipe in his mouth and an eye patch so you could get fruity rings and save 73 cents at checkout think of the poverty mindset sitting there clipping coupons at the register. You got to, you're sitting there holding me up for 40 minutes because you've got a coupon for a can of green beans because it costs $3.99. But because of your coupon that you clipped from the newspaper, you can get the same green beans for you know $2.99 instead of $3.99. Oh my God, you saved 99 cents on a can of green beans. I, I hope you don't spend it all in one place. And we've got people in the body of Christ walking around with a poverty mindset. That stuff bothers me to no end. I will not live that way. I won't live that way. I refuse to live that way. There's people that will think about how foolish this is. I want you, I, re, I really want you to think about how foolish it is. There are people that will drive to a whole nother city to get gas because the gas station in that city has gas for 275 while your gas station has it for 280. I can go over there and save five cents a gallon. Okay. Save your five cents a gallon. Your car only has a 20 gallon tank. Do you realize how much money you saved? A 20 gallon tank. You just saved $1. You saved a dollar. You had to drive all the way over to another city to get gas for 275 yours is 280 and you saved a dollar i i mean i want you to get to the place where you're not even looking i got to pull in here man look how cheap this guy who cares i mean literally who cares exactly you burnt more gas going there than you did saving the money to get that gas it's a mindset it's a mindset and you got to get out of it. Nickel and diamond God, like he's got, doesn't have enough. And I'm not talking about being irresponsible. I'm not talking about not having a budget and I'm not talking about all that. But what I'm talking to you about is that God's more than your little budget. God is more. And of course we're supposed to use wisdom. And of course we're supposed to be good stewards of what God's given us, but I'm not going to nickel and dime God. You realize that I'm not going to nickel and dime God. I, I'll give you another. I'll give you another uh, aspect to think about. You know what's more important than your money, your physical body. Think about that. Your physical body. You know what? You know what's worth more than your money? Your peace and your joy. That's why I started booking my own plane tickets for a lot of these meetings that we go to. We handle the finances ourselves. I don't make the church pay to fly me in. I don't make the church pay to get my hotel room. Many still insist that they want to, but we never ask any church, any. Well, we need you to get us a hotel room. We need you to get us a plane ticket. No, no, no. I pay for that. 
I pay for my own tickets. I pay for my own hotel. I rent my own car. You're not on the hook for that. You know one of the reasons I started doing it? Because you got people that are so cheap, so cheap. I'll get my itinerary. I used to get my itinerary from places. We've got you flying in. We got you a really good flight. Found a really good flight. Oh, really? Yep. You got to leave your uh, your home airport at 5 a.m. The plane leaves. 5 a.m. So I got kids now that travel because I got my wife, my kids. Back then, probably only one child. So you're telling me that I need to be at the airport at 4 a.m., which means I've got to leave my house by 3.20 a.m. with a little baby and a wife and me and bust myself to get to an airport before I'm even awake. No, because why did you book that flight? Well, there were other flights in the day, but we were able to get this one for 200. Oh, really? How much was the other one? Well, the other one was like 275. Oh, really? You saved 75 bucks and have got me and my sorry behind out of bed at three in the morning so I can go down there and save you 75. Let me tell you something. I'll pay the $75 to just sleep in and catch a flight in the afternoon when normal people are awake. I don't want to go to the sitting there in the airport with just zombies. People just walking around like zombies. 3.20 in the morning. Well, you save that 75 bucks. I'm sure God's in heaven just clapping. Save the kingdom. You save the kingdom. 75. Give me a break. Give me a break. That's a cheap edit, edit, edit. (laughs) Poverty mindset. We save that $75. Good thing. Good for you. Save 75 bucks. I'm sure God's really wiping the sweat off of his brow that you save $75 on some little, it's like ridiculous. And people live this way for their whole life. I heard a story uh, at, happened at the turn of the century. This is a great object lesson for, for the prosperity of God. Think about this. God cares about more about you and your body and your peace and your joy. It's t- listen, it's taking everything in me to keep my Christianity just on the drive to the airport at 3.20 in the morning. I don't lose my salvation screaming at somebody on the interstate because you got my behind out of bed at 3 a.m. to get to an airport and stand with zombies and TSA agents that are already mad that they had to work the overnight shift and they're about to get off and they're sleepy and they're cranky. The coffee's burnt. There's no bagel places open and I'm sitting there driving with people cutting me off in the middle of the night. And you saved $75. (laughs) Poverty mindset. Cheap cheap. So you know what I said? I'm going to start trusting God for myself instead of running my family ragged. You realize I do this for my entire life, my entire life. It doesn't end. It's not like, well, it is just one quick trip and then we'll be home again. We'll never have to travel again for the next seven months. No, we travel nonstop. We're gone like 270 days a year. So I'm going to rip my family all over the country, catching bargain flights, Bargain flights. It's not happening. So I said, you know what? 
We don't want to put any pressure on the churches. We don't want to put any pressure, you know, on the, uh, on the men of God. Of course, there's people that, that prefer to do it and they ask, oh, please let us, please let us. And there's, and we made up in our minds, we just want to be a blessing to the churches. We want to be a blessing to the churches. I don't want to have to put all kinds of pressure. You know, if, if you do have a plane, let me just say this to you. If there's ever a minister that does have a plane, trust God for the gas for the plane for yourself. It's not like a big leap of faith when you're like, oh, we have a plane. If you, if you want them to come preach at your church, you got to cover all their jet fuel. I've had preachers tell me, we wanted so-and-so to come preach in our church. We called to ask him, um, how much will it cost to have you come preach at our church? You know what they said? Well, we fly our own jet, so just to get us there, it's about $60,000 for the jet fuel. Oh, really? Sixty grand for the jet? And the pastor actually said, we'll, we will buy you and your wife and your team first-class plane tickets on an airline. Well, no, we don't fly on that. We only fly. Okay, I got no issue with you having a jet and being prosperous, but have the faith to buy your own fuel. I can't imagine calling a pastor and be like, pastor, I'll come, but you know what? This truck has a 32 gallon tank and I'm going to need you to forward me some gas money to get over there. I would just rather quit the ministry than be so cheap as to send bills ahead to the pastor. Well, I got some dry cleaning and I got, I was like, give me a break. Trust God. And one of the reasons I started doing it is because I got so tired of dealing with people who have a poverty mindset that all they're trying to do is squeeze another $3 into the kingdom and they're running the people of God ragged because they're doing it. And I heard this story about a, a preacher, a group of preachers at the turn of the century, uh, 1800s coming into the 1900s. And uh, back then, you know, the, the, not everybody had a car. A lot of people still traveled uh, by horse, horseback, and there were trains, of course. And um, so this uh, preacher was getting ready. All these preachers were getting ready to go to preach at a convention. And so the preachers, it was like a long trip on this train. And um, all of the preachers bought day coach tickets. And of course, if you're not familiar with train travel, many people today aren't. The day coach is where you sit up in a seat just like this for hours and hours with people sitting next to you just like you'd be on a plane. But one of the preachers bought a sleeper car ticket that has a full bed that lays down. You know, you have access to, you know, food, all kinds of things and bought that. And the, the other preachers who bought uh, day coach tickets gave him such a hard time. You would waste God's money when you could be here in the, in the day coach with us. You would waste all that extra money to have a sleeper car ticket. And go in to have your own to have your own cabin, little cabin, little state side with the uh, stateroom with the with the bed. You'd waste God's money on that, and he didn't answer them. And he went into his little uh, sleeper car room and shut the door and drew the shades. And hours and hours and hours and hours the the train ride was until they got to the city where they were going, and they got out and everybody got off of the train. And they were finally there for the meeting was about to start. All of the preachers were exhausted, exhausted from the long train ride that they'd bought sitting up in their day coach. But the man who had bought the sleeper car ticket got off the train completely rested and vibrant and ready to minister. And all the preachers wanted to go to the hotel to sleep. And he was ready to go to the church to preach. 
And he said to them something that I'll never forget. I'll never forget this. He said, guys, you all saved God money, saved God's money, but I saved God's man. Think about that. Think about that for a minute. You all saved God's money, but I saved God's man. Think about it. Something more important than the finance, and that's the people. That's your peace. That's your joy. That's your strength. That's your purpose. I remember hearing T.L. Osborne, one of the greatest preachers in the history of the last, probably in the history of the Christian church, won more people to Jesus than probably almost anybody in history, in history. And you know what Dr. T.L. Osborne said? He said, when you go to a nation to minister in crusades, he said, don't go there and, and shut yourself into some shack. He said, stay in the nicest possible place in that city or that country you're in. Stay in the nicest possible hotel room and eat the best possible food you can. Well, what was he telling you? You're going there on a mission to help God's people. And if you yourself are completely depleted of rest, health, and strength, you'll be no good to minister to God's people. No good. And let me tell you, I know what it feels like to have yourself completely worn out. And then you get to a place to be a help to people that are spiritually hurting, need healing, deliverance, need to be broken through into victory. I know what it feels like to walk into a place because your body has not been taken care of and you've had to like struggle just to get to where you're going and you walk in thinking, God, you're gonna have to help me because I got almost nothing left in the tank to give God's people and I'm not doing it and you shouldn't have to do it. God will bless you. He'll put you in a place of more than enough. He's not poor. He's not broke. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. The silver is his. The gold is his. He's a God of abundance. And he knows how to provide for his children. He knows how to provide for his children. Don't allow yourself. You've got dominion over poverty and lack. Don't allow yourself to fall into that place of poverty and lack and say, well, you know, that's just how it goes sometimes. No, access the system that God has set up. It's the system of seed time and harvest and take authority over poverty and lack and step up into abundance and prosperity. People act like prosperity is a curse word. It's a God word. It's a God word. And I'm telling you, you'll never, ever hear me apologize for prosperity. You'll never hear me back off of the message. Well, you know, I know when I was a lot younger in my thirties, you know, I, I used to preach the message of prosperity, but I've come to realize it's a very selfish. Now you'll never hear me back off. I'm not an idiot. I can read the Bible now at 38 with complete clarity and understand how to rightly divide the word and know what it teaches on provision and abundance. I'm not going to like somehow find that you know, after 38 years, my doctrine was so skewed, I didn't know what in the world I was reading. I'll be If Jesus tarries, I'll be preaching the same thing at 48, 58, 68, 78, and 88. And 98 if he doesn't come back. It's the same word. It does not change. And God is a God of blessing. He's a God of abundance. God of prosperity. He's a God of the overflow. Overflow. Wants you to overflow. 
but it always comes by you obeying his instructions. And I will say, and I'm not vilifying anybody that does it. I know people that do it. But the reason that I don't ever put a limitation on God's people is because I'm not the Holy Spirit. If there's a minister that wants to do that, that's his business. But the reason that when I receive an offering or if I ask people to sow, I don't give you a number that I want you to sow because I understand that it's completely ineffective to do that. I've heard plenty of ministers on television, other people do that. I don't do it. And here's why. Because the moment you put a number out for people to hear, it limits what God can do. And I'm explaining to you what I mean. Let's just pick a random number. You know, because I know people do this on television, whatever. Let's pick a random number. Let's do one that the super spiritual people would do. I feel in my spirit tonight that every person that's watching, if you're ready to receive a supernatural blessing, there's people that God's speaking to you now to give a $777 seed, the perfect number of God, seven, three times for the Trinity, 777. Well, I could say that and people may feel it. They may sow that. But remember something. There will be people that are listening or watching that no matter what, they could not, they could not sow $777. They don't have it. I just told you 80% of the people in America are in $16,000 of credit card debt or more. 40% of people in America go from paycheck to paycheck. So if I said that, there might be a whole group of people, they can't even do that. They can't. But then watch this. Here's what I'm really, this is what I really hate for people since I'm not the Holy Spirit. What if the Holy Spirit was telling you to give $1,000? My voice just contradicted the Holy Spirit's voice in your life. And if you obeyed me over the Holy Ghost, you just missed out on your blessing and were disobedient to an instruction from the Lord. Remember this, some people, it would take everything they had to do the thing you said. Other people, it wouldn't even mean anything. What if there were people watching me? It's happened to me. Let me give you an example. Let me give you an example. I was one time sitting in my living room um, watching a preacher on TV. And he actually said this. I'm ashamed to say that he said it. But he did. He said, I feel today that everybody who gives a $66 offering, there's a six-month healing anointing coming upon your life. He said that on television. And first thing I thought was, I didn't know God's healing anointing had an expiration date. Second thing I thought was, that's foolish. It's absolutely stupid because you just gave a blanket statement for everybody that's watching. And many, many people that are watching could sow $66, but it would take zero faith to do so. First of all, for, for most people, let me just say this, for most people, 
$66 is not an offering of faith. Just bottom line, it's not. There's people that go to Outback Steakhouse with their family and spend 66 bucks and don't blink twice. They didn't have to stand out in the parking lot and join hands and pray in tongues for an hour before they dropped 66 bucks at an Outback. They just went in and had lunch. For most people, $66 does not move the heart of God on your behalf. So first of all, I thought about myself personally as a much, much younger man. I thought I could call right now and give $66 and it would mean nothing to me, nothing. And I was thinking to myself, and I've already told you guys tonight, I'm a big eater, but I've, I've, I said to myself, I've gone through the Taco Bell drive through and spent about that much money on food for just me. <laughs> I mean, think about that. I've, I've actually gone to Taco Bell and spent close to 60 bucks on tacos and burritos and quesadillas and cheesy potatoes for just me. And then turned to people in the car and said, what would you like? <laughs> and I thought to myself, if I called the number on the screen and sowed $66, it wouldn't mean a thing to me. And let me tell you what that means. If it doesn't mean anything to me, you know what that means? It didn't take any faith to give it. And without faith, it's impossible to do what? Please God. That's not a revelation. I mean, think about that. Think about that. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. So if this dude on TV is telling me to sow $66 and it's going to be a breakthrough seed, it's not going to be a breakthrough seed. It's not going to get, it's not going to be a breakthrough seed. I can get burritos and not think about it twice. It's not a breakthrough seed. Most people, you watch this. Most people, the, the reason they never step up into the kind of blessing that I'm talking to you about tonight is because they don't obey instructions that the Holy Spirit speaks to them about their giving. They reject them and then do what they want. They crumple up a $20 bill and throw it into the offering plate. If if you believe, I don't know if you believe this or not. I've been in services where people have come down to the altar and make change in the offering plate with the usher. Hey, all I got on me is a uh, ten. Do you have some change there in the offering plate? If I could get, can I get five back? I just wanted to do five today. I've been in those services where people get make change in the offering plate. If you make change in the offering plate, just do yourself a favor and don't give anything at all. Just don't, just don't give period. It's more embarrassing watching you make change in the offering plate. Here's just a good rule of thumb. Never give God something that you would be embarrassed to give a 10 year old at their birthday party. <laughs> That's tweetable. That's something you should write in the comments. Never give God something you would be embarrassed to give a 10-year-old or a 15-year-old at their birthday party. Here, Lord, here's $20. Don't spend it all in one place. <laughs> now, I know it's different for everybody. There might be some people that sow that for them, $20 is a... It's like I was talking about the, women with, the woman with the two mites. 
that she placed it into the offering. Jesus said, she gave more than all these rich men. And the disciples said, how's that possible? Look, have you not seen what they're given? He said, yeah, but they gave from their abundance. She gave all she had. So I understand there's some people that it's truly a sacrifice for them, but I'm talking about for the average working person. Listen to me. When you've got people that are on welfare, that their kids are going to public school wearing Yeezys, listen to me. If you've got people on welfare, kids going to school in Yeezys, and they're wearing, you know, I mean, just, just think about it. They got flat screen TVs in their homes and, you know, every, everything in the, under the sun, brand new iPhone that costs $1,100. Don't tell me people don't have money to give to the Lord. People have, you'll find this very quickly. People have money for what they want to have money for. And the key is putting God first. It's putting God first. And so when the Holy Spirit gives you an instruction, Look at that. That touched my heart, Frank. That touched my heart, man. Thank you, Jesus. Frank said, and what a sacrifice. Frank said, when I saw you preach at Peckville Assembly of God, I gave everything I made that week in the offering. That's, I'm telling you. See, that's a heart. That's a heart that put, that put God first. See, that did the very same thing with your dad. I pray God bless you back abundantly, Frank. That's supernatural. Supernatural. And so I'm telling you, it's about, it's not about what a man tells you. You've got to get a word from the Holy Ghost. You've got to get, and the reason for that is because everybody's at a different level. Everybody is. It takes different faith for everybody to do different things. That's why we have to be led by the Holy Spirit. We have to be led by the Holy Ghost. Must be. And as I finish this series with you tonight, one of the things I want you to hear You've got dominion, and you've got dominion over sin, and you've got dominion over sickness and disease. You've got dominion over depression, anxiety, and suicidal thoughts. Now take dominion over financial lack and poverty. Take dominion over not enough and walk in the overflow. Walk in the excess and watch what God will do for you. Watch what God will do for you. The Bible talks about the fact that for the righteous, I want you to see this with me. Go to Psalm 35 and then we'll pray. Psalm 35, look at this. I always know that it's the elite people watching when we talk about these, these things. Because when people, it's funny because we hit a place tonight where we're like at 120 people watching between, between all three social media networks. But when people find out you're talking about sowing and giving, it always makes me laugh. People are like, I'm going to maybe sneak back for the next one on it. <laughs> That's how I know that it's the elite people watching the people that are ready for the meat, not the milk, because it takes a maturity in the spirit to hear this kind of a message. It does. No question. It does. It's one of the most hated messages in the world. People hate it. And Tyler said I had to Google Yeezy, but it's, uh, it's absolutely true. Listen to this. Psalm 35 or Psalm 34. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him from all his trouble. The angel of the Lord encamps 
around those who fear him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Fear the Lord, O you his saints. For the those who fear, hallelujah, those who fear have no lack. Those who fear him, those who fear him, those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. David said, I've never seen the righteous forsaken, never seen his seed begging for bread. Same is going to be true for you. That's going to be your story. This is our month of miracles, the month of May. It's our month of miracles. And I'm telling you, this is our year of violent increase and expedited favor. God has a plan to bless you abundantly. I'm telling you that we're standing in faith that before we come to the end of this month, I'm believing that you'll hold your testimony in your hand, financial testimony too, that the increase will have hit your house this quick, that before June 1st comes, you will have something to testify about. And I'm going to rejoice with you. I'm going to dance with you. I'm going to shout with you in Jesus' name. So let's pray. Father, I pray now for every man and every woman watching the broadcast. I ask you tonight, give them an instruction. We take dominion in this life over poverty and lack. It'll never be our story. We'll never go without. We'll never be beneath. We'll never be the tail, but we'll always be the head. Everything we set our hands to do will be blessed in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. We thank you for that. Tonight, we ask you to speak an instruction, a word into every man, every woman's heart. Give us instruction, Lord, to do what we've never done before. We're ready to go higher. We're ready to be in abundance, to be a blessing to our generation. So tonight, speak a word by by your spirit into our hearts and let us receive it with faith and act upon it in the mighty name of Jesus. We thank you, Lord, that we will always be the head, we'll never be the tail, always above, never beneath. In the mighty name of Jesus, we give you honor, glory, and praise. In Jesus' name, amen. If you believe it, throw some fire in the comment section, let me know, and take a step. Now, see, you've heard it. You've heard it tonight, but now the question is, what will you do with it? What will you do with it? Do you believe he's your provider? Do you believe he's the shepherd and you'll never lack? If you do, see the Holy Spirit speaking to you right now after that prayer. The Holy Ghost is giving you instruction. And you've got to be the one who hears it and steps out to obey. See, because we all want the blessing. But I found out that the blessing is not something to pray for. It's something to go get by your seed. A seed always calls to the blessing. Can I give you something real quick? When I was a kid, I grew up in West Virginia. And um, we would stay out all day long, especially in the summertime, those long days, we would stay outside, me and my friends, all day long playing ball. We'd go down to the basketball court in the town that I lived in, and there'd be like 20 guys down there. We'd stay down all day from like early afternoon, 11 a.m., till all the way until it was about to be dark at like 8, 30, 9 o'clock at night, and just play ball all day long. Well, a lot of times, especially there in West Virginia, when it was dinner time, because we're so far away and the hills are there, one of the things that will carry through the hills and through the air for long periods of time is whistle, a whistle will. 
And that's why even with uh, res- they have rescue whistles. Even when you go camping, if you're going hiking, they make, they make emergency whistles because a whistle will carry longer than a, than a yell. But it was interesting to me, and I think about it. Back then it was normal. Now I think about it. Everybody's mom and dad had a specific whistle that they would do to call their children home. So, you know, they'd put their fingers in their mouths and do like a, a specific, whether it was like dot, 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 that kind of a thing, or, you know, or it was just unique. And every kid at the court knew the whistle of their parent. I got to go. And they, it didn't matter. The game was about, I got to go, guys. My parents are calling me. Dinner's ready. I got to get going. And they'd take off jogging away from the court up the hill back to their house. And now that I think about it, it makes, it's interesting because the Lord showed me this one time that every seed calls the harvest to itself. Think about this. Every harvest is slave to the seed. Every harvest is slave to the seed, which means when you put your seed out there, it's like whistling, calling for that seed to come. And the seed has to hear it and the seed has to answer it or the the harvest has to answer it and the harvest has to come. The seed calls and the harvest comes. I want you to put that in the comments section. The seed calls and the harvest comes. It's not prayer that calls the harvest. The seed calls the harvest. The seed calls and the harvest comes. I've always thought that. Just like every every young person that was there back when I was growing up, every parent had that call and the kid knew it was for them. Your seed calls to your harvest and it's your obedience that makes it come. And so that's what I'm telling you tonight. The Lord's speaking to you and the Lord's encouraging you. I know it by my spirit. He's encouraging you to do something that's full of faith tonight. Tonight, what is this? Tonight is the ninth. <laughs> Nueve de Mayo. It's not a, a, a holiday that I know of in Spanish culture. Nueve de Mayo. But on the 9th of May, the Lord is speaking to you to do something by faith. Sow a seed by faith that's going to put you in position to receive. That seed will call to that harvest. Call to that harvest. So for those of you that are sowing, the information's all on the screen. It's very easy to access. Um... Very soon, we'll be accepting Apple Pay, which is really cool. And people will be able to give it by Apple Pay, which is pretty awesome. Every way that you can. And um, it's all on the screen, very easy to access. Of course, no matter where you are in the world, some of those only work in the U.S., like Cash App. And uh, I'm not sure about PayPal, but hashtag donate. But MiracleWord.com, no matter where you are in the world, no matter what continent you're on, you can sow a seed. I've already been sowing largely today. I want you to know this. I've sown large seed already today, and I've stayed sowing largely throughout this whole time because I know May is my month for miracles. May is my month for harvest, and I'm excited. I got to release more seed today, and I'm going to keep on releasing seed because I'm ready for my personal breakthrough. I would never tell you or preach to you to do something that I'm not doing myself. I told one dude, he kept, people get on and they get all then out of shape. Have you, has he ever sown to you? I said, man, if you knew how much money I gave away in a year, you would pee your religious pants. <laughs> and so I'm telling you, there's a blessing that's on the way for you in the mighty name of Jesus. 
And so I want to say a big thank you. Of course, you know that uh, we appreciate you and that we pray for you, and we do. But I want to just uh, thank you, JR. I appreciate you saying that. Very kind of you. But um, I want to say a big thank you to uh, every person that's been standing with us. We really, really love you guys. I mean, a lot, a lot. Carol and I were just talking about this, how much we appreciate those that are partnering with us, standing with us. Man, I appreciate it. And we love you. And we're believing for your family to see the greatest days that you've ever seen in the history of your life. And so you're a blessing to us. I do everything I can to be a blessing to you. And uh, best days are ahead, man. Are you excited? States are opening up. People are sick of being home. States are starting to fully open up. You'll be out before you know it. Like I prophesied, this thing will blow out as quickly as it blew in and nobody will even want to talk about it. People will act like it never happened. But let me tell you something. You'll remember and I'll remember what happened during this time. And we'll never let it happen again. People need. It's time to rise up as the church and not allow... I don't know if you saw what I posted today that I reposted from my uncle. This is how crazy some places are trying to be. Let me read it to you in case you didn't know that I posted this. Blow your mind. The mayor of Kansas City, listen to this, Quentin Lucas just warned every church to be prepared to hand in a detailed list of every person attending services, including name, address, phone number, so city officials can use it for surveillance purposes. And tracking failure, failure to comply can result into six months of jail and the church being totally shut down. Think about that. It's time, you know, separation of church and state was not to keep the church out of the state. It was try to, it was to keep the state out of the church so that there was not tyranny. <laughs> People don't know that stuff. And the church, the church has been silent for too long. It's time to stand up and be counted and refuse. There's some things worth going to jail over. Let me just say that. Some things are worth, they're worth taking a stand over. And I thank God for men of God that are willing to do that. I thank God for the men of God that have been arrested and willing to do it. Praise God for them. Like Dr. Rodney Howard Brown. Thank God for him. Thank God for him. He's a wonderful man of God and we appreciate him. I hope you pray for these leaders that are willing to stand up in the face of adversity. Hope you're praying for him. I I saw that, Kayla. Kentucky's governor saying you can't sing on the platform, even in the online service. Like, how much more crazy crap are we going to hear from these guys before we realize it is freaking persecution? It's persecution. Because you know how I know? Let me tell you how I know. Because in New York, Cuomo and de Blasio When it came time for Ramadan, they weren't shutting the Muslims down. They were providing halal meals for Muslims. Meanwhile, go back and read their tweets about Christians and Jews. Blow your mind. Because it's persecution. Has nothing to do. You got who who was the dude that's over his uh, state in Illinois? His telling him, don't leave your house and don't travel. His family's all traveling. They're here in Florida. They just got found out. They don't even believe their own lies. It's all a smokescreen. It's all a bunch of lies. And we need to be smart enough to know, smart enough to know that we need to take a stand and don't allow this junk to happen. 
If churches come back in, let me just tell you something that's an absolute truth. If churches come back in and they start saying we can only come to church wearing a mask, I will not be coming to God's house in a mask. I want you to hear me very clearly. I will not be sitting on the front row of church with a mask on. Hear what I'm saying to you. I can't travel this nation and the world preaching the gospel of Christ, preaching the power of the Holy Ghost and his healing and delivering power and sit in his house with a surgical mask on. That's ridiculous. And if that's what they're going to try to say, it's not happening. It's just not happening. It's not happening. It's ridiculous. Look at Renee. Toronto is allowing call to prayer to go out over the loudspeakers from the mosques. If churches did that, let me tell you something. If churches had loudspeakers above their churches and we put out praying in tongues on loudspeakers across our cities, they would try to shut us down within not days, hours. They'd shut it down. Do you know businesses that were next to your church would call the city office and complain? All they do is their prayer. These loudspeakers, we all hear it. They don't do that to the Muslims, do they? Don't do it to the Muslims. <laughs> There's a reason. People need to wake up and think what the reason is. It's because it has nothing to do with anything except persecution. It's totally true. Totally true. I promise you there's more going on than they're telling you. How can the CDC drop their numbers by almost half in one day? Say, well, we just had a few uh, issues here. It's a smokescreen, people. Wake up and recognize what's actually happening. We've got dominion. And the devil, let me tell you, we're so close to the coming of Christ. So close. And the devil would love to enact an antichrist system. He can't do it while we're here. He cannot do it while we're here because we have dominion. That's why I took this whole week to preach it. We have dominion. And I thank God for men of God that are not afraid to say so. And I'm not afraid to say so. Of course I'm not. Can you imagine? I know, Ashley, it's insane. It's insane. But we have dominion. We have victory. I want you to understand something. We have never-ending victory. We've got never-ending dominion. The church is not in trouble. Jesus said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I prophesied this stuff last year in the fall, that there would be things that God people thought God was in that would be torn down. And there'll be other things that God would lift up head and shoulders above the rest. And it would be a sign unto you. It's already happening now. People that everyone thought they were all Holy Ghost and fire. It's proof they're not. They are not. If one thing I've seen over this time that we're in, I have seen the difference in the dividing line between people that truly believe God and people that don't. And I'll see, we're going to see more than that. The more than that is going to happen. You get, you get ready. We're going to see more of a dividing line, and I'm, I'm all for it. Let's let the ones that really believe be seen, and those that don't believe, let them fall to the wayside. You know Bible prophecy says that there'll be a great falling away before Christ comes. Let it happen. Christ is coming, but we won't be falling away. We won't be falling away. You won't be falling away. We're going to stand on the power of God and the Word of God and see our victory day after day after day. 
All we do is win. Hallelujah. All we do is win. And you are victorious. That's why I'm encouraging you tonight. You are victorious. Thank you for partnering with us. Thank you for sowing. Thank you for standing with us. Man, I love you so much. And I appreciate you. We're going to go out shouting again tonight. I love you guys so much. I'll see you again Monday morning, 1030 a.m. I'll be back with you. Do not miss it. This next week's going to be powerful. Now that's the stuff leaders should be made of.